Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. And guys, this is going to be a fun episode. It's it's an honor for me. Um, The gentleman that we're going to be talking to is a friend, but he's also a, a brother in Christ. So he's actually one of my, um, somebody that I consider family guys. Uh, and by the way, he makes some of the best coffee ever. And I drink it every day. Um, if you guys can hear it, I make iced coffee out of his coffee every day. So guys, if you love coffee and if you love coffee with an eternal mission, check out third day coffee, Seguin, and we'll be talking about that. JR, my brother, how are you? Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve, brother. So you made it home. You made it home safe. Everything's good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty uh, crazy here lately, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, safe and sound. Just blessed, uh, you know, to be doing uh, all the things that are that we're doing and. Uh, Awesome. So first of all, you know, uh, we're going to go back and we want to find out a little bit about you because um, without your story, your backstory, there would be no front story and there would be you wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing today if it wasn't for some um, major people in your life in the past. And I definitely want to talk about that. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, where you're from and what kind of little kid Jr. was as a kid. (laughs) Uh, Jr. was a little pain in the rear end, is what he was. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in San Antonio, and uh, to a couple of just awesome parents. Um, Mom and Dad loved us the best way that they uh, that they knew how with the resources that they grew up with. Uh, they were awesome. They both grew up poor. Uh, Dad worked about three, sometimes four jobs at a time so that me and my sister could go to a private Catholic school, and in my case, private Catholic military school, uh, kinder through eighth grade. And then I went to a central Catholic Marionist High School in San Antonio, another private Catholic um, military school, uh, high school. And I went to ROTC for the first two years. And then I did not do that my junior, senior year. I played football. Uh, I ran track a little bit. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, once I graduated, I, there was no doubt in my mind, my dad was, uh, a crypto tech in the air force. He did counterintelligence in the fifties and his youngest brother, my uncle Ray, he, uh, was in Vietnam and, uh, he did all kinds of stuff in Laos and I don't know where else. And, uh, so growing up with those two monster heroes, uh, you know, uh, that was never, it was never, ever even a flinch of what I was going to do the second I uh, graduated high school. Okay, so first, you know, one thing that I love is, um, you know, I've, I've talked to hundreds, hundreds of veterans now, and every veteran has a, a different recruiting story. So talk to us about the day you walked into the recruiter's office. <laughs> you know, that was kind of funny because I had, uh, you know, wanting to be exactly like my dad, and my uncle, I was going to go air force and I was going to go crypto. And so uh, when I was a senior in high school, when I was a junior in high school, I started talking to a recruiter. When I was a senior in high school, 
I did the delayed entry program uh, for the Air Force. And um, so as we were getting closer to graduation, uh, the Air Force had a freeze on recruiting. And I was like, well, you know, I was talking to my recruiter and I was like, well, what do I do? He says, well, just come here every Friday after school, check in with me. As soon as they get this thing cleared up, we'll get you off the boot camp. I'm like, okay. And so that's what I was doing. And so I graduated. I started uh, the local community college, San Antonio College. And, um, and I was checking in every Friday. And uh, I was kind of screwing, screwing around with school. I, I wouldn't go to all my classes and I'd, I'd go, you know, I was just being a, a typical kid, I guess. And uh, I went to go check in one Friday and uh, the lights were off in the Air Force. I mean, they, everything was shut down. And uh, I was like, what the heck, you know? So I'm sitting there scratching my head and I turn around. And at this time in San Antonio, the rec main recruiting station for all four branches was all in one building. And so right across from the Air Force was the Navy and then the Army was down the hall and the Marine Corps and everybody. And so I turned around and there's this old crusty, you know, Navy guy sitting in the doorway smoking a cig cigarette inside the building. And, you, know, you know, we offer everything the Air Force does. And I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm not going to pass my classes this semester. I don't have money to go to school next semester. And uh, I don't know when the Air Force is going to get you know, this thing straightened out, but I need to go now. And so I walked in with that guy and less than a month later, I was off to boot camp in Navy <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> so now, you know, talk to us because I had a, a, a weird experience because, you know, I came from the streets of New Jersey, a smart, you know, I was a smart ass with a bad mouth and uh, was a punk. And when I got to basic and, you know, I'm meeting people from all over the world, I kind of got an attitude adjustment by somebody. Um, so what was it like going, coming from a kid from, from San Antonio, Texas, to being around people that are from all over the world? Um, I, I think it was pretty interesting, you know, to say the least. Um, I, I was pretty much sheltered pretty much through the sixth grade, I guess. Uh, and then after that, you know, we had a pretty diverse uh, group in high school, you know, my last couple of years at grade school and then high school. So I, you know, I wasn't, you know, it was nothing unusual that, that hit me, but the biggest thing was uh, my parents had really sheltered me from uh, my dad was a wild man back in the day. And he, he came home from the military and he was running booze in the, in the dry counties, you know, the, he was a bootlegger and, uh, and he would get arrested and then he'd pay his way out, you know, and, and he did all this crazy stuff. And so he sheltered me and my sister from any kind of mayhem. And we, I mean, we'd get in trouble for doing anything wrong. And so going from that really strict, uh, almost overbearing uh, upbringing to a situation where I can do whatever I want now. Uh, and I'm around all these people from all different parts of the country uh, you know, I started drinking pretty quick <laughs> and, uh, I mean, my dad had introduced alcohol to us so that we wouldn't be stupid when we grew up, but it didn't help. I mean, I got around these people. Some of these guys were already professional drinkers, you know, and, uh, started partying at the bar every night. I mean, it was to the point where I would separate my paycheck into 14 envelopes. So I had enough to drink every night. Um, uh, and, uh, 
but I, I had pretty much my my time, my my boot camp, my my A school, and then of course my first and second ship uh, was pretty uneventful. Uh, as far as you know, I mean, I partied like everybody else did. You know, you hit port and you go hit the nearest bar and you spend your whole paycheck. Um, you know, but for the most part, like I didn't get in trouble. I never got into fights and and stuff like that. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't it was surprising considering the fact that the company that I was holding, you know, probably would have eventually got me in trouble. Now, how many years did you do in the military? Uh, I did almost five years. I did four years and nine months. Okay. Um, did you decide to get out or why was it four years, nine months? Uh, so I extended for nine months uh, because my ex-wife was pregnant with my son. And uh, I was trying to stay in. But at that time, uh, the detailers were very different than they are today. Back then, like you had one detailer for this entire you know, uh, surface group. And he was the only guy that you were going to talk to. And it wasn't like, Oh, I'd like to go to these three places. He was like, okay, you can go here or here. Those are your options. What do you want to do? And if you didn't want any one of the options, he said, okay, well then get out. I mean, that was his attitude. And so I was up for shore duty, uh, at the end of my, uh, we had, I went from the East from the, I'm sorry. I went from the West coast to the East coast. Uh, in 92, my ship decommissioned in, in San Diego, 91 decommissioned in San Diego. And then I got transferred to another uh, small frigate in Virginia that was going to go down to Texas. And it was going to, it was going to, uh, we were going to commission the base in Texas. And so I got on that ship and I came down there and I did my four years all at sea. You're supposed to do like four and then three on shore and then four again. And so the detailer was like, no. And I had already gone and talked to the shore people at Ingleside where we were at. And he's like, yeah, man, I, I need five people. I have five billets open. I'm like, awesome. Well, when I come up from reenlistment, I'll just ask for one of the billets here. I'm up for shore duty. And the guy, this is exactly what he told me. My dealer told, detailer told me, yes, there's billets there, but I'm saving them for somebody. So you, you either go back to the West Coast or get out. And I didn't, I didn't love the West coast. So, uh, I, I got out. I mean, I, that was, that was, those were my choices. I regret later, but you know, uh, at the time that, uh, that was the choice I made. So <laughs> I apologize. It'll just go with, I'll put the both episodes together. Nope. So now you did four years, nine months, um, you know, and I've talked to a lot of veterans and um, a lot of guys, you know, and girls, you know, they like when we're in the military, you know, we're supposed to be all who and hardcore and all that, you know, but we get used to getting paid on the first and the 15th. You know, we get used to getting health insurance and 30 days paid vacation and food and all that. And like, like one of our mutual friends, uh, Nick says, you know, once you step off base, the military does not give a shit about you. And a lot of times, you know, when people get out, they have that hard time with transitioning because not only are they, you know, losing a career, but they're also losing the friendships that they built over the last couple of years. 
So what was your transitioning like? You know, I, I didn't, I didn't realize uh, until much later that I had such a hard time transitioning. Uh, I got out, you know, I, I, uh, eventually I, I moved back to San Antonio, uh, and I got divorced and, you know, I was, I think I was single for two or three years when I got remarried to my current wife. Um, and, and it was my current wife that kind of made light of it. Uh, she, you know, she realized that in the time before we got married and then after we got married, she would always, she says, you know, you move around every two years, you need to knock this crap off and stay somewhere. And I started looking back and I realized that, that since I got out, I would move around every two years. I would, I would change jobs. And, uh, it was always a jump up a little bit, if nothing, I mean, like sometimes it was very little, but, uh, it was maybe a better opportunity for me to, uh, to rise to the ranks and, and, you know, I did this for years. I mean, I got out in, in, uh, 95 and I, I guess that's the 95 to 2000 and then that's, that's five years. And then, and then to, so 15 years, I moved around like the wind. And now what, what kind of, what kind of job was you, were you holding at this point? Well, in those 15 years, I held everything from, uh, soldering circuit boards to, um, uh, I think the last job I, I worked at air gas for a while, uh, working on welding machines. Um, they were all jobs that kind of lined up with my skill set. you know, in the military, which was like basic electronics and electricity and valves and mechanics and stuff like that. Um, I worked at a place called Harris that built microwave radios for the, for the military and for, um, for the um, railroad line of sight communications. And then uh, I bounced from there to a, uh, uh, I went back to school for a little while. And then I went back to the workforce where I worked as a um, uh, uh, fixing power tools. Uh, and I went from there to air gas and then I went from air gas to uh, someplace else. I can't remember where for eight months working on uh, welding machines and things like that. And then I went from there to uh, uh, Southwest research where I actually spent like two years and six months. Uh, and I was a, uh, I was a test technician. I would set up these tests that they would do uh, using hydraulics, pneumatics and electronics. And then in 2010, my life pretty much changed when I found a job. Uh, at the time, I was a Mason. I'm not a Mason anymore, but at that time, I was. And uh, one of the guys that was in my lodge, I, I was the master of the lodge. I was in charge of my lodge. Now, I got a question to ask because now this is something. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, because I have a lot of friends and, and that and um, are, that are that are Masons. And, you know, I have, have a lot of friends like my father-in-law just passed. You know, he was an elk. So it's kind of like sometimes when you get in those lodges, it's kind of like it's, you know, blood in, blood out. Um, you know, most people, when they get in the lodge and they start moving up the ranks, and you know, certain certain uh, levels that they that they stay. So what was it that made you decide you know, not to be a Mason anymore? And you don't have to go into any any particular detail, yeah. but I'm just 
it just uh-huh. some, some some people might be interested in what you just said that you know one day I'm a mason and just and head of the lodge and then all of a sudden yeah. you're not involved anymore. Uh, I'm gonna I'll get into that, but before I want to tell you how I got my my current the last job I had as a mason I became a shriner shriners of America right so. In order to be a Shriner and be one, I used to have one of those little cars that you ride in a parade and all that. And uh, in order to be a uh, Shriner, you had to be a Master Mason, which is as high as you can go in the Blue Lodge. They call them Blue Lodges. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and and none of what I'm telling you is secret. The only thing, and I would never want a person. Yeah, yeah. Even though I'm not a Mason anymore, I would never violate those uh, those obligations that I that I committed myself to. but um, the blue lodges are are your basic lodge, you know, where you you do your actual degree work. Uh, they're very much set up like a, a guild, like an electrician's guild or, a, a, you know, pipe fitters guild. And so you start out as an apprentice, and then you become a journeyman, and then then you become a master. And and masonry is purely speculative; it's not operative. And so it's you do rhetoric, you do you know a lot of rhetoric. Uh, and you do questions and answers and things like that to get to the next level and you learn stuff. But anyway, I, uh, I met my boss uh, at, at a place that we owned that we had it at, uh, up on the river in Bernie. And I was helping him one day and, and he asked me about if I knew anybody who did HVAC. And I'm like, well, how much does it pay? He says, well, we start our guys out at $20 an hour. I'm like, hey, I can do HVAC. And I'd, I'd never done HVAC my whole life. But I, I was, you know, I did military electronics and I had pneumatic certifications. I had hydraulic certifications. I was certified welder. I had all these things. Uh, and I was like, man, I'll figure it out, you know? And so that's how I got the job there. But I really got the foot in because Jerry was in my lodge with me. And so it's a brotherhood, you know, and uh, it's, it's very much like the military. In fact, a lot of people join the lodge uh, in times when, the military scales down after conflicts or after wars because men are looking for that camaraderie that we had uh, when we were on active duty. And so, uh, but what, what happened was eventually I, I started a group, um, a group, a veterans group in the shrine and uh, it's called a Legion of Honor. And, uh, and what happened was I started to realize uh you know, there's a lot of people that it, it got real political, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Okay. It got real political. And I'm not a political guy. I don't play those games. And so um, I I took a lot of heat to the point where, um, I, you know, I never chose at the time I was already I had already surrendered my life to Christ. And so I was doing a lot of stuff in church. And I had a uh, one of the leadership tell me. Uh, if I was going to be at some event, and I said, man, I can't, I've got this thing at church. And he goes, well, this is more important than that. And that was like the turning point for me. And I was like, no, it, it's really not. There's nothing more important. And and I, that that doesn't really align with the principles of masonry and shrine because they always tell you that, you know, it's family first uh, and then your lodge and then and then the shrine afterwards. It's amazing the charity work that they do. You know, they do a oh, lot. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're truly amazing organization. I've had, like I said, I, I, I was asked to, you know, because a lot of people think, oh, you just become a mason. No, you actually have to be asked. And it's amazing um, how far background 
they'll do. They'll go back to your grandpappy's grandpappy. You know what I mean? So uh, they're a great organization, and uh, I got a lot of friends that are still in it, and I I love them. They do a lot of great things. So now, you know, like I joke around a lot, you know, like I say, you know, a lot of people when they get out of the military, you know, they want to open up a T-shirt company, a hat company, a liquor company, or a coffee company. Uh, (laughs) And then, you know, six months later, you know, they're $10,000 in debt and don't know what the hell just happened because now, uh, obviously, me and you were in, were in a lot of groups together. Um, I, I, by the way, I, I'm so grateful to be part of your, your group um, and, and your podcast. And But uh, like my friend Stephen, our, our friend Stephen Eugene Kuhn says, if you don't have a business plan, you don't have a business. You have a hobby. So tell us one day you just woke up and said, coffee. Yeah, that's it. Coffee. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to us. And like I said, I'm drinking, as you can hear that, I'm drinking third day coffee right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell one, I do want to tell you one funny story because you touched on it. uh, when We're talking about the, uh, about the Masons. Uh, My daughter, and, and this leads into the coffee. My, my daughter, um, after she uh, finished high school, she had a full ride scholarship at UTSA. She went for like one semester and then she quit. And uh, she had an idiot boyfriend that was just not helping the situation. And uh, she had met this kid from New Zealand playing Xbox 360 Live. Um, and so a word to the wise for all you men out there and women, if you have daughters that are teenagers, do not let them have the internet until they're 40. <clears throat> and so anyway we had got danielle's xbox hooked up to the internet and she met this kid and and they stayed friends and uh after she dropped out of college uh he sent her money and a visa to go visit and uh and i'll get back to this but she hasn't been home since she never will she's she's gonna live her life in new zealand which is awesome and uh we've been there and, and i'll get to that in a second but when Danielle first told my wife, she wouldn't tell me because her and I are really close. And, uh, but I was the, I mean, I dis- I was the discipline guy. And so she was kind of scared to tell me that she was going to go visit with some dude that she'd never really seen in person uh, in New Zealand. And so again, I was at that time, I was the master of my lodge. And we have a little book that, because there's other lodges out there called Purple Lodges and they're, they're called clandestine. They don't uh, align perfectly with everything that that the Blue Lodge does, which is supposed to be like the original lodge. And so uh, there, we have a little book in the lodge that tells you all the lodges worldwide, stateside, everything that we communicate with. And so I looked in there and I asked Connie, I said, don't tell Danielle that I know anything. Don't tell her that you've told me. Uh, but I need to know where she's going. And so she said, she's going to Hamilton, New Zealand. I'm like, okay. So I go through the book and sure enough, Alpha Lodge number 003 or whatever is in Hamilton, New Zealand. And so uh, I had to figure out the time zones and I, there was a phone number for the secretary. So I called the secretary up one day and I introduced myself and he's like, yeah, what can we do for you? I said, well, listen, I I have a really unique issue here, but my daughter's going to visit some kid that she's never really met. And they're, they're, uh, they're not far from, you know, from the lodge. And I wanted, uh, I want, I need to find a way for you guys to put eyes on them uh, when they get there. And he's like, yeah, let me have the guy's name right now. 
and where he lives and we'll do a little investigating before she gets here and so so i did that and uh i made this huge story up that i had met a guy from new zealand she finally had to tell me she was going and i said oh well i met a guy from new zealand you know and I, this is all baloney i was just i was just giving her a story hey but, father got to do what a father's got to do right and so so before she left the secretary from that lodge called me back and he said listen this is where the guy lived for the last three years this is where he lived before that this is the job he's had for the last four years uh, and this is where he worked when he was in high school. And uh, this is the car that he drives. And the, these are his three best friends. And this is what they do for a living. And this is what he does for a living. This was, I mean, they did this huge investigation. Come to find out later, when I went to visit in 2014, that uh, it's a lodge full of retired police officers and military from England, uh, Australia and New Zealand. And so it was all by it was all by chance, but because of that brotherhood, even though they had never met me, because I was in charge of my lodge, it gave me enough credit with them for them to go all out and check this kid out. And so See, you know, and I and I love the brotherhood, you know, cuz like I have um friends I I retired out of the South Carolina National Guard and my my son actually uh, went to uh, Coastal Carolina his first freshman year. And like two of my best friends are on the security force for, uh, for, social, for, for Coastal Carolina University. And I'm like, hey, guys, you know, I love you guys. Can you please watch out for my boy? And they did watch out for my boy. So it's amazing how, you know, we can build relationships. And it's I think, you know, like Stephen Kuhn and Lane Ballone talk about, it's all about building relationship, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. And like, of course you're, you're now I consider you a, one of my inner circle and, you know, I consider you one of my best friends, you know? Absolutely, brother. I mean, that's definitely, definitely mutual. Um, Talk to us about coffee. Cause yeah. I love your coffee is amazing. It's, and, and you know, I, I actually, when I first got it um, and you sent me and you know, when I got my, my uh shipment you actually send in a personalized letter um a penny or two pennies actually and uh and the coffee when i opened it it smelled so good so for like three days i didn't even make the coffee i just opened it up <laughs> and like and it was like an air freshener because it smelled so it smelled so good it was one of the best smelling coffees that i've ever smelled and also one of the best tasting coffees so how did the whole coffee thing come about from hvac yeah, so uh, e eventually, uh, Danielle stayed in New Zealand, obviously. And a year after she was there, uh, my grandson was born. And so at, and at this point in my life, what I knew about coffee was basically the gas station at the corner. Uh, my dad grew up drinking out of a percolator until my mom bought him a Mr. Coffee. And then he, he had a step up from the old percolator. So that's all I knew of coffee. And, and then in the Navy, of course, the coffee is friggin' hideous. Um, you know, black sludge. I mean, if you didn't want to drink it, you could polish your boots with it. It was terrible. And, um, and so in 2014, my wife and I uh, planned to go spend, we, we took time off and we both went, we went over there for a month. 
And so I'm really excited because my dad had told me and other people had told me about, you know, you know, coffee overseas is so much different than ours. And so we finally get to New Zealand and um, we get to my daughter's house and I get up the next morning and I'm like waiting for like, I'm looking around the house, not saying nothing, looking for a, looking for some kind of contraption that they make coffee and nope. They pulled out a glass bottle of Sanka instant and they made instant coffee. And I was like, and what the heck is this crap? And so I was like, well, where's the real coffee? Well, this is what we drink. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So the first weekend we were there, I had, uh, you know, uh, Sydney's always been on my bucket list. And it was like $300 round trip for both me and my wife. So there was no way we were not going to Sydney. And so uh, the first weekend hits, we take off to Sydney. And I got picked up by a Navy guy, a retired Navy chief uh, from the Australian Navy. Uh, and I got taken to a lodge where they were all, they were all uh, ex-military. And uh, the next morning, the guy says, listen, you know, because we had a lot of trouble driving the first day we were there. And the guy says, listen, man, the best thing to do is backpack. He says, take that car, drop it off in the morning, and then just hike it. You can walk everywhere that, you know, you want to go take a picture in front of the iconic opera house and you want to go downtown, you want to go to Hyde Park, you're going to want to go to this museum. He goes, and it's all walking distance downtown and it's close to your hotel. And so I'm like, okay. So the next day we went and dropped the car off and uh, we backpacked. The car, the, the car was probably about five miles away from downtown. So the five mile hike back was, was pretty decent considering that my wife at that time, you know, wasn't doing a whole lot of fitness stuff. And I, I was, I was training for a triathlon. So that was good, you know? So here we go, man, we're trekking. And the first thing she wanted to do was take a picture in front of the opera house. So we, we have a little map and we're working towards that direction and we get close and this guy's opening up this little cardboard box. I mean, it was literally like five pieces of plywood with some hinges and a lock. And he opened it up and I looked in and he was selling coffee. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I'm like, it can't be any worse than gas station coffee. Right. And so I walked up and I ordered, a, I ordered a cup of coffee. The guy, you know, goes back there, grinds the beans, makes me a cup of coffee. And, uh, and I sat there and I ended up, I ended up staying there for like an hour. Cause I had like three cups of coffee. The coffee was at that point, the best coffee I'd ever had in my life. And uh, it was literally from <laughs> this plywood box that this guy had, had piecemealed together uh, on the side of the sidewalk. And, uh, and I was like, man, well, how do you make your coffee? So, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm at that time I was 40 some years old. I was like, I, I spent 40 years. I've never had coffee good. And uh, he said, well, they roast every, every week in, in Sydney, they roast on Wednesday. There's nine roasters. Uh, major roasters in Sydney. And so I pick up my coffee on Thursday and uh, every Thursday, and I only buy enough to last a week. And then I don't grind the beans until you order it and it stays fresh that way. And um, so anyway, really long story, really short. We went back to New Zealand. I found, we started going to shops that are away from my daughter's house uh, and finding the same situation. And then I started buying coffee from a local uh, roaster in, uh, in, New Zealand and my daughter would send me coffee. And so we got back and I'm like, that's not really feasible or sustainable. And so I'm going to have to find coffee here, uh, 
that I can, you know, that works. And then in 2016, when my dad passed away, my mom, my sister, myself, my wife, my son, we all went to um, uh, Italy and Greece to go to the places that my dad had taken pictures of back in the 50s. And the coffee was the same, except that like now I got a taste of the real coffee culture. You know, like you, you can get on a street corner in Rome and you can have two guys like getting ready to slug it out. And then one of the guys will be like, ah, cafe, yeah. And they, they walk to the nearest coffee place and they sit down and have coffee together. And so it was pretty funny. Uh, but at the same time, the coffee was amazing. And so when I got home, I knew that I needed to replicate that. But at the time, I didn't know it was going to be for a business. I just thought it was going to be, you know, JR needs good coffee. And I'm not going to go to that Star Chunks place that, you know, the root of all coffee evil. And so um, I started roasting coffee uh, in a black cast iron skillet. And then a lady gave me a uh, desktop from church. She gave me this eye roast thing. And I did that for a little while, still unhappy with everything. And I was out grilling steaks one day. And I thought, man, I wonder what the coffee would taste like if I roasted it over in mesquite, you know. And so uh, I bought some junk on Amazon and a little rotisserie. And uh, that's that's literally the very beginning of third day coffee so you know and i and one thing you know people that listen to my show um they know that i'm i'm not afraid of my faith you know jesus christ is my lord and savior um so definitely not afraid to talk about that a lot of people don't but oh well um but you know because he's the one that's blessing this podcast and everything that i do so talk to us about the name third day coffee yeah so um after we it was still a hobby it was a huge hobby um and then of course when i joined the group with steve and lane and then i joined the uh, the mastermind group the warrior council uh and i started talking to justin charpentier i took a class with him um uh, and then uh covid hit and that's when i had to when covid hit i had people outside my circle wanting to buy my coffee. And so I was like, okay, well, I got to get a name. And I prayed about it and we came up with some other things and I was like, nope, nope, nope. And then I was, I was doing a study at school. I went to Wayland Baptist and I was doing a, a study in the book of Luke and um, Luke 24 and 46 reads that the Christ will suffer and die. And on the third day rise again. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to, it's, I'm going to name my coffee third day coffee, you know, after Luke 24 and 46. And so I went down to the courthouse and I registered third day coffee. And, uh, and I came back and at the time I had graduated from my little steak grill to a big smoker pit that I was doing about six pounds uh, at a time. Uh, but it would take me about four hours to do that six pounds. And so I was struggling to, to keep the orders that I had. Um, and again, we, we went back to the, uh, to the number one uh, lean on, which is God. And I, and I prayed about that. And we found a place in Oklahoma that custom builds um, roasters. And they told me they could custom build it where I could still use mesquite. And so uh, in February of last year, we ordered our roaster. Pandemic hit in March. February, March, March is when everything shut down. We got the roaster in late March, early April. 
and I was off to the races. And I mean, literally off to the races. I had that machine running uh, probably three, four times a week initially. And, uh, and it was all, you know, I was having trouble still. So I, I prayed for divine appointments. And uh, this guy pops up in my feed. And, uh, you know, after we went back and forth, it turns out that he owns a coffee farm in Honduras. He lives in Mount Ridge, Kansas, Legacy Farms Coffee, and they have a farm in Honduras. And so he's like, I don't know why I, I feel like I'm being led to help you. And so I'm going to help you with whatever you need to get your business off the ground. And so that started this relationship that is just, God just keeps growing it. I mean, in a way that I, I can't explain, I have no clue. And so February, 2021, uh, JR leaves his job with the NSA after 10 years. And uh, I mean, that was a guaranteed thing, right? Lots of money, <laughs> uh, lots of benefits. Uh, and I walked away from that because God had put all this other stuff in front of me. It was so hard to, uh, to find. All right. So now, you know, cause now we're going to get into some stuff that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I've found that, you know, after all my um, interviews that the, the one people that are successful, um, you know, like a lot of times when a guy or a gal will get out of the military and they want to start a business, um, they don't sit down and talk to their significant other until the crap hits the fan and then it's twice as worse because um, then you know you have to explain yourself of how bad you screwed the pooch so you know uh so talk to us you know take us to that kitchen table when you know you and your wife because i know you guys you know you guys are uh you're like my family, you know, you're just, you're, we're like, we're team Kaufman, you know, we're, we're a team, we're a family, we're, we, everything, everything we do is, you know, for the betterment. So what was that conversation like? Cause sometimes you have to have that hard conversation yeah. in the beginning, or you're going to have an even harder conversation down the road. So yeah. talk to us for the people out there that haven't got to that point, the pot, that things that you should do while having that conversation. Yeah, we were so blessed. Um, you know, I had a great job making stupid, crazy money, and I was able to do this on the side. And so um, we sat down several times, and my wife is like, I want you to understand that I don't take risks. I don't like taking risks. You're a risk taker, and I'm not going to stop you from your dream, but just know that you know, I don't like this. This is not comfortable for me. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, I'm like, I dig it. I'm not going to hurt us. I promise you, I'm not going to hurt us, you know? And so this went on for several months. Uh, and then we met Ashley. And then, and then we met these other people that God just kept putting in front of us. And um, what eventually happened was uh, after the pandemic, my, my wife was an epidemiologist with the state of Texas for 30 years. She did infectious disease. She worked on H1N1. She worked on Ebola, both Ebola outbreaks. Uh, she worked on, on all kinds of stuff. She did tuberculosis. She did um, everything, you name it, whatever came down, you know. And then, uh, and then she retired with 30 years service. And so she went to work for a friend of a good friend of ours who his wife is an eye doctor here in Seguin. And he's a pastor. 
And so he was basically mentoring me and his wife and my wife were going out to lunch three times a week. And she finally said, why don't you, you know, cause she was telling her, I, I need to get a job. Well, just come work for me. You know, it's low stress and you'll have a good time. And so when February hit or early March, they laid her off. Uh, they had, they had to close their office. And she's like, I don't know how long this is going to last. Just be flexible. You know, we'll do the best we can, blah, blah, blah. And she was home almost two weeks to the day when they hired her from Comal County. They didn't interview her. Well, I, I take that back. Uh, she had to follow all the guidelines, but she told them, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not, I didn't apply yet. I need to apply or whatever. And basically this later, this, they did an interview over the phone uh, and they said, can you start on Monday? And so she got that job and, and she had to do a little bit to get it. She had to get all her stuff squared away and all her paperwork in and, and uh, they had to do all the typical state dot your I's and cross all your T stuff. But uh, she wasn't looking for that when it came up. People just uh, uh, recommended her to those people, you know, when they were looking. And so it was a state grant that was supposed to last one year. And at that same time, Connie got hired on at the church, full-time on staff as the children's church director. And granted, she's drawing retirement already, uh, you know, from 30 years at the state. And the first of the month, every month, she gets her check. And I, I have a little small disability I get from the VA, and then I was working full-time. And so we met all these people. And... Eventually, the conversation went from, I don't take risk, you take risk, I don't take, I don't like this. I'm like, okay. Uh, that conversation went from that to my situation at work was pretty much getting toxic. She realized it, uh, the, the physical strain of doing a constantly rotating shift, working nights, and then going right back to days, uh, a couple of days later, it was just killing me. And so we were praying about a way for me to get out of there and all these. And then eventually we sat down at the dinner table and had another conversation about what happens now. And she's like, I'm going to remind you that I don't take risks. I don't like taking risks and you do, but I'm also going to tell you that if you don't pay attention to all the people that God has put in your life, then you're, then you're crazy. You're out of your mind. He is setting it up for you to walk away from your job and do this full time. And you need to, to walk through that door when it opens. And so that's exactly what happened. Um, we got to a point where, you know, I wanted a certain number of subscriptions. I wanted a certain uh, uh, number of uh, monthly sales. Uh, and we hit those targets we hit those targets two months before I had projected them. And so I was like, well, look, man, I mean, this is, this is all, you know, God's got everything working. So I'm good. So in February 26, I walked away from my job after working for 10 years for the federal government. All right. So now, you know, tell us what happened in the last couple of weeks. Cause I think it's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, what you guys got together, you and Joe and everybody else, Talk to us about what you do. And by the way, guys, and uh, I just want to throw out there, uh, we have a friend, a mutual friend, a mutual brother. His name is Joe. And he has some of the best soaps 
Um, I use Maxwell soaps every day because I have diabetic itchy skin. So if you guys love soap that's actually handmade and also for every soap that they sell, they give a bar of soap away to help the homeless population in Los Angeles. Definitely check out Maxwell soaps. I just wanted to throw that out there since we're about to talk about them. Absolutely. So, so talk, yeah, talk to us about what happened in the last few weeks. Yeah. So, you know, the more I got involved with the Warrior Council, uh, Steve and Lane, they go every year to Peru. Um, you know, I walked off my job. Everything's going well. The first month after I left my job, I had my worst month ever. I think we did like $700 in revenue. And so uh, the uh, all these things are going through my head, right? Well, this is God testing me, right? I'm being tested. And, uh, and right about that time, Steve and Lane had just got back from Peru and they had this download. And it's basically an umbrella for everything that they do. And they called it HAV. Uh, humble Alpha Veteran Empowerment. And so they didn't even know what this was all going to entail yet. They just, they they had this vision and they were going to, this is going to be the umbrella for everything that they do. The Vetpreneur Tribe, the Warrior Council, uh, they have a fund coming out pretty soon, a small business fund for veteran companies only. Uh, and so all this stuff is falling under the have umbrella. And, uh, and so Joe Palacios takes that and just, you know, starts running with it. And again, I, February, March, I had the worst month ever. At the same time, my supplier from Honduras, Ashley keeps telling me and Connie that we're going to go visit May. And I'm like, bro, I just left my job in February. We just had the worst month ever. Uh, and I, we're probably not going to go. And so, uh, anyway, we, we, uh, I was talking, I talked to all those guys every week, Joe and Chris Shivers and, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of those people, cause we're on our meeting every, every week. And, uh, Joe's like, we're going to go down there and help you finish your shop. And I'm like, what? And, and so he said, yeah, we're going to go this week. And I'm like, no, bro, you don't understand. You can't just show up at my house. My wife will kill all of us. And so you had to give her time. So we planned for two weeks from the initial date that, that Joe said it. And, um, and it was JD tyranny of Southpaw laser concepts. Right? Yes. Love me some JD tyranny. Yeah. And then Chris Shivers, big spoon from Dallas. Um, Kennedy page, who does all the graphics for a lot of people. Now he's also in the warrior council now. And in the, in the tribe, Kennedy page from Houston, Joe Palacios with Maxwell soaps. Don't be nasty. Don't be nasty. Don't be nasty. <laughs> and, uh, and myself, and then one of my friends who's not a veteran, but he's my brother. He, he and I started a church together, and and even though he goes to a different church now, he and I are still linked at the hip. And and so we always joke around that we're the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito from the movie Twins, and uh, that's me and John. And so John is he's my he's my he's more than just a brother in Christ. He's literally in my my flesh and blood and. He's also an electrician. And so he showed up that day along with JD, Kennedy, Joe, Chris, and then another guy from San Antonio, Tommy Chase. He's part of the Maxwell Soap thing. Uh, he's a retired Navy chief. He's also in the tribe. And then one of my really, really good friends that I met through the lodge that he and I have been close ever since we met. 
uh, and he's in the, he's been in the tribe. But he just joined the council, uh, and he lives in San Antonio. He's a Marine, and uh, and he came out also. And so we spent all day working on my shop. Have mission zero zero one, uh, and that's a physical manifestation of this idea that Lane and Steve threw out. And they didn't give any guidance to anybody. They didn't say, hey, we're going to start doing missions where we go out and help people. I mean, that wasn't even on their radar. Uh, Joe just took that from them and said, why don't we do a have mission if we're empowering veterans and go empower one of our own? He needs help to get his shop done, you know? And so that's exactly how it happened. And, and all these guys showed up and we, we got a lot of the work done. We got most of it done. And then uh, that week in the mail, uh, we had done our taxes. And I was certain because of the numbers that I had been, you know, I'm pretty good on my bookkeeping. And I was pretty certain that we were going to owe somewhere around three to four grand. And we went to the tax guy and we got more than that back. And he went through the whole thing and explained it to me, stuff that I didn't know about taxes. You know, that's what he does for a living. And he's like, you know, this is your loss and this is what you're going to get back. And we were like, I looked at Connie and she's like, we're going to Honduras. And I'm like, yep, <laughs> we're going to Honduras. And so uh, I didn't get any work on the building done over the next couple of weeks as we went to Honduras uh, first week of May. And, uh, you want to talk about God moving in ways that, that, you know, we don't understand that that was, that was that trip. And it literally, the first time I've ever been in a third world country literally changed my life. Uh, you know, and I came back and I was, I was almost uh, embarrassed about some of the things, some of my thought patterns about different stuff. Like, man, I can't believe that stupid Amazon driver didn't, you know, didn't make it today. And, and you got people that don't have sanitation, don't have electricity, don't have water. And so anyway, we, we did that. I came home. I was sick for a week after we got home. And then I got caught up with my orders and I'm still trying to get my shop done. And so Joe's like, no, man, well, let's go down there and finish it. And so this coming Monday, Memorial Day, we're going to do the have mission 001.5. Uh, when some of the guys, they're all, they're all not going to be able to make it, but, but most of the guys that were here originally are going to be here. I think Nick Valentine, depending on, on what he's just lost his dad. And so, but he's, he's off, he's said that he wants to come. Uh, and so we're going to get here and we're going to finish the shop. They, I got back um, last Monday and they had my, my new pole installed. So we've got power now. Uh, and I've been working on it myself. And so they're going to come and help me finish it out. And we're also going to do a small Memorial Day ceremony uh, to commemorate. You know, one thing I love to do on Memorial Day is to remind people, don't tell anybody, don't call me and send me messages and tell me happy, you know, thank you for my service, because that's what Veterans Day is for. And uh, Memorial Day is for us to commemorate the lives of all those men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice for, for the freedoms that we enjoy. Yeah. And I just did a post today. It'll go out later. Um, it's just a picture of a woman laying flat down on her face on her husband's grave. You know, yeah. some people's Memorial day is, is every day. So I wanted to, you know, push, put that out there. 
So my brother, you know, last couple of questions. Now I usually ask two questions, but for my people that I know have faith uh, that are, uh, are, are strong willed and have that faith. I ask three questions. So the first question is how do we get in touch with you? How do we order some of your amazing coffee and how can we help you with your divine mission? So that's, uh, the first two questions, I can wrap them up in one. Visit our website, www.thirddaycoffeeseguin, all, no spaces, seguin.com, and that's S-E-G-U-I-N. Uh, and uh, uh, you can go there. Um, you can buy our coffee directly from the store. Um I do some local events, but you know, you have to be really local to get those uh, within 50 miles of my house. But uh, you know, anybody else can just hit the website. Uh, if you're a veteran or a first responder, send me a message first so I can give you a discount code. Uh, Cause I have specific discount codes for, um, for veterans and, and first responders. Also, if you use the code D dash one Delta tech one, if you use that code when you do a subscription for our coffee, uh, you'll get 20% off the subscription because the subscription alone, when you subscribe to coffee, whatever coffee you get once a month, uh, you, it, the system automatically gives you 10% off just for doing a monthly subscription. And then if you use code D1 with a subscription, it gives you another 10% off. It's stackable on subscriptions only. Uh, and you, you'll get 20% off uh, of any of our coffee subscriptions. And so, um, again, that's www.thirddaycoffeeseguin.com. Uh, and then you can, you can find us on Facebook for third, just look up Third Day Coffee Seguin. You'll find our Facebook page. And in our Facebook page, uh, you'll find, uh, you'll find uh, our, I'm, I apologize Something is going on and all the dogs are losing their mind. It's all good. <laughs> we have seven of them. So. Seven dogs? <laughs> yeah, we have seven dogs. Wow. Okay, so last question. Oh, no, second second to last question. Um, you know, we live in a crazy world right now. Um, some states are wide open. Some states are still locked down. Um, got You know, we got grandparents homeschooling kids, you know, We've got parents driving Uber just to put food in the kid's mouth. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if somebody is struggling with their business, especially if you're a veteran, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to right the ship? I would definitely say, uh, get yourself into a mastermind group. Uh, you know, the, the warrior council for me, uh, along with Justin Charpentier's mastermind group that I joined, uh, those two things literally, I mean, it's like printing money. I'm not kidding. Like literally within less than a month, my hobby was a full blown business and I was selling coffee, you know, online, like just like that. And so, um, you know, you definitely want to, you know, 
follow the principles of uh, that, that Lane and, and Steve always say, HIT, honesty, integrity, transparency. Uh, but you really need to get a mentor, a business mentor. You know, if that's if you're struggling, your business is struggling, that's what you're trying to do. Uh, you definitely want to plug into some resource because the veteran community today, I tell people all the time this, it's just like World War II. When all the vets came back from World War II, they set this country on fire. I mean, they opened businesses. They changed the, you know, they changed the generations of their family with what they did when they came home. And I feel like we're at that juncture again right now. The difference being is that right now you have vets from all the different eras helping each other out. And so, you know, Stephen Lane can charge forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars uh, for what they give us in the Warrior Council, you know, and it's forty nine bucks a month or something like that. It's, it's crazy, um, and they they give all this information away, you know, and why do they do that? Because again, we're at a point in our in our culture in our time as veterans of the community where we really want to help one another out, you know. Everybody's tired of people looking at us saying, oh, this guy's a vet, he's an old pissed off guy that, you know, takes a bunch of meds and, and doesn't know, you know, can't do a damn thing. But that's, it's quite the opposite. You know, we're very capable because of our military service. We're even more capable than people who haven't served. And so if you're struggling with your business or anything, I strongly recommend to get in some of these groups. People want to help people within our veteran community. So that would be my I love it. Okay, now the last question I ask, and it's very, very few people I ask this question, but um, people, it seems like God is putting people in my life, especially strong men. So uh, I think, you know, he God's working on me and, and I'm a work in progress. You know, yeah. even like it, it says, you know, um, I fail him every day. But, you know, I'm still I'm still trying. So, you know, there's a lot if there's somebody out there that, um, you know, they say that if you do not feel close to God, you're the one that moved because he's the same today, yesterday and tomorrow. So, brother, if there's somebody out there struggling with their faith, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get closer, closer to him? I would tell you to go read Joshua 1 and 9. And I'll tell you what it says. Joshua 1 and 9 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. And what that means is this. When your battle buddies, the guys you serve with, don't answer their phone. When your family doesn't want to hear what you have to say. When your girlfriend turns her back on you. When your wife turns her back on you. When everybody around you is not there when you need them there is still an inexhaustible resource in God that will never, ever, ever fail you. He'll never forsake you and he will never, ever leave you alone. And so I, I recommend, I don't recommend start reading the Old Testament. I recommend Joshua 1 and 9. And then I would start in either Romans or the book of James. The book of James, a phenomenal book. Uh, and those are something that you can do today. You can pull the phone app up on your phone, look up a Bible program on your phone uh, and, and look up, you know, Joshua, look up James, 
uh, and and just know that that God has a plan for all of us, and it's a plan for us to prosper. It's not a plan for us to fail and to be weak and to suffer. We are going to suffer. Jesus told us that anybody who follows him, that we'll suffer as he does. But what we suffer is worth every instant from now till I get to stand in front of my maker. Uh, I love that, brother. Uh, so now, guys, if you're listening to this and if you love coffee, now, like I said, uh, I was when I was in the military, I got hooked on energy drinks. So uh, I usually have one energy drink by Jason Lane Curtis um, from Bonvera. And then I have my coffee every morning. Listen, listen to this. That's third day coffee. That's my iced coffee. So definitely check them out. Um, coffee. And I always say, you know, it, it's coffee with an, with an eternal mission. So definitely check them out. Um, I'm so grateful for, for you, for you, brother. Um, I'm, I'm truly honored that you're in my inner circle. And if there's anything that I can ever do for you, please let me know. Yeah. The only thing I, you know, you said something that I didn't answer earlier, but um, something that helps our mission, you know, cause we are really trying to change people's lives. You know, the more subscriptions that I get for our coffee, the more mission work I get to do in Honduras, the more veterans that are struggling here locally, I get to help. And so um, we aren't out there to make a bunch of money and get rich. You know, we're out there to put as much money as we can back into our veteran community, back into the community in Honduras, just people that are providing the coffee that we sell. And uh, I just ask that you, you know, take a look at that and support us if you can. Definitely, brother. All right. Well, I'm going to hop off because I got a, got another interview. I'm, I'm doing an interview on the gentleman where he'll be talking about health and diabetes. And uh, by the way, I just want to say uh, congratulations on your health goals. I see you're kicking ass and taking names. Um, and, and I'm so proud of you. And just if you just want to throw it out, who your coach is, just so, just so we can give him a shout out. Absolutely. I've got two people that I work with. Uh, one of them is PK Stacy, Brian Stacy with uh, Tricom Fitness. Uh, he really launched my, uh, my new attitude, got me motivated, pushed in the right direction. Uh, unfortunately, he lives a couple of thousand miles away from me. And so my daily grind is with uh, Robert Torres. Uh, with uh, Fitness for Warriors, and uh, and he is here locally in San Antonio. He's a good friend of mine, been a friend for many years. And so PK Stacy and Robert Torres, those are the guys that are that are pushing me to to get my fitness in check. Awesome, brother. Me and you are on we're on that same path together, brother. All right, I love you, and this will go out in a couple of weeks, and I'll let you know when everything goes out. This way, I'll, and I know you'll promote the heck out of it. Absolutely, brother. I really do appreciate your time. All right, brother. Just stay safe out there with that, that rainy weather out in Texas. Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, I got a question to ask. Um, do you know a gentleman named Daniel Gomez? No, it doesn't sound familiar. All right. Well, I'm going to uh, hook you guys up because he's also in San Antonio. He's around the San Antonio area. And he's, a, he's another brother in Christ that I'd love for you guys to get to know. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right, brother. God bless you. All right. God bless you, too. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.